if you're glad you're saved this morning, say amen. amen. If you're glad we got something greater than college football, say glory, amen. Glory. Amen. Thank God for my Bible. It's never, it's never fumbled. It's never missed out. It's never thrown an interception. It's never called a timeout. It's never known not what to do. It's always been what I needed to be, amen. Thank God for it this morning, amen. Look at verse number one of Hebrews chapter number 13. The Bible says, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let not your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, not their message, but their lifestyle. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and for. Ever. Let's pray and you can have a seat. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, grateful, Lord, that we are free this morning, not because of the Constitution, Lord, not because of the Declaration of Independence, Lord, that has given us our freedom as citizens of this country. But, Lord, it's through your grace and the shed blood of Calvary, Lord, that I have been freed from the burden of sin. I've been freed from my mistakes and my failures. I've been freed from the penalty of my sin. Lord, I have life eternal this morning. I have a promised place in heaven this morning because, Lord, you set me free. And I ask you, Lord, this morning that you work in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, I pray, Lord, there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, the gospel's been sung about. It's been talked about. It's been taught about. And Lord, we're going to mention in the sermon this morning, but God, I pray, Lord, you'd work on the hearts of any lost person that's in here. Lord, let them know, Lord, that you died for them. And Lord, you want to save them. Lord, call them by name this morning and deal with their heart. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we get into the preaching of your word, would you hide me behind the cross of Calvary? God, would you get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the spirit of God. Make preaching, God, what you desire and design it to be. I want to thank you, Lord, for those in the house of God this morning. Thank you, God, for a place to worship. God, thank you. Lord, for a place where all we want to do is lift you up and honor you and give you the glory that is due unto your name. Lord, we ask you now, Lord, you'd make the word of God real to us, make it personal to us. God, deal with our hearts this morning. Lord, I didn't come to just step on toes and to make anybody mad. God, I came to preach the word of God, Lord, because it's what we need. It's what our country needs. It's what our town needs, what our society needs. But, Lord, it's what our church needs. It's what our home needs. Oh, Father, help us now from the word of God. We'll give you the glory. We'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for standing and thank you so much for being here this morning. But I want you to look at verse number uh, six this morning and we're going to start off there, springboard all around uh, Hebrews chapter 13, these few verses right here and kind of give you what the Lord put on my heart and I was sitting at our Good News Club training, be praying for that, that we'll be headed back in the public school in just a few weeks, preaching the gospel, showing those children the love of Christ. And I've, we've already asked God to put children that need to hear the gospel in that classroom and in that cafeteria. And what a privilege it is in, in this day, in this age, to walk onto any government building or government facility and be able to say, thus saith the Lord. Be able to say that Jesus died 
for your sins. To tell those young children, because of your sin, there is a place and it's real and it's a place that your sin purchased but thanks be to God, you don't have to go there. And not only do you get to miss out on hell, you get to have the dearest friend this world's ever known. Well, what a privilege that is to preach that. But we were sitting at training yesterday and it was in, they had coffee with pumpkin spice creamer and free pastries and granola bars and all, they had free gifts to us and they were, we were reading out the, through the little manual that they have for us and I came across Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number six. And before I know it, my mind was in sermon preparation mode. My, I was listening, but I really wasn't listening. And so they said something real important. Hopefully you ladies that were with us and you young men that were with us yesterday remembered what they said because I was, I, was, I was glued in. I was, I was in tune with what the Lord was trying to work in my heart. But I came to verse number six and it said, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Let me ask you this morning, can you boldly say, the Lord is your helper? Now, when we hear the word boldly, we think loudly. We think with great volume, the Lord is my helper. Can I say the book of Hebrews is not telling you to say it loudly. It's not telling you to say it with great volume, but rather that word boldly means with great confidence. With great belief, with great faith, with great trust, with great confidence, the Lord is my helper. Let me ask you this morning, can you boldly say the Lord is your helper? And if you go take that thought and you go down to verse number eight, there's some places that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. See, we can boldly say, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you can go back to a yesterday and say there was a time and a place in my life where I could boldly with all confidence say that the Lord was my helper because there's nobody else that could. There was nobody else that would. There was nobody else that wanted to. There was nobody else that had the ability, but there was a day in my life where the Lord saved me by his grace. Well, I can boldly say April 3rd, 2015, the Lord was my helper. And can I say there's not just been some days of my, concerning my day of salvation, but there's been some days in my yesterdays that I know the Lord was my helper. And we can scan back over our lives and, and our, our past days and say there was a time and a place where the Lord was my helper. But then he says not just in my yesterday, but go to verse number eight. He also says, and forever. We got our yesterdays and we got our forevers. In essence, you could say I could look out into a, some tomorrow and know the Lord is going to be my help. We've already sang about it. Brother Ray sang about it. We, we sang about it in the, the congregationals. We've talked about a place called heaven. And can I say, I don't ever want to become a church that gets tired of the fact that somebody like me and somebody like you is going to end up in a place called heaven, a place I did not deserve, a place I don't earn, but a place that I know that is promised to me and according to my Bible, somehow, some way, I'm already seated there. Amen. But I can say in my tomorrow, there's a, a day in the future where I know the Lord's going to help me because I can't get into heaven by myself. I don't have the secret code. I don't have enough money or enough credentials or credit to my name. 
Listen, the, the dealership told me I don't have enough credit. You think God's got, a, I got enough credit to press God? I don't. But I have one who's going to help me get in. I'm getting in on his credit. I'm getting in on his righteousness, in his glory, in his ability, in his strength this morning. So we can look back to our yesterday and say, oh, there was a day back there where I knew the Lord was my helper. And there's a day out there in the future where I know the Lord is going to help me. But smack dab in the middle of verse number eight is the word today. Let me ask you today. Right now, September 10th, 2023, at 11.40, I mean, I gotta preach quick this morning. At 11.40, could you confidently say, the Lord is your helper? Oh, preacher, I can say it with confidence. I can say it boldly. Then tell me this morning specifically, how do you know? See, a lot of times we like to live the Christian life in generics. Generally speaking, yes, we know the Lord is our helper. But if we're to say it with all confidence, I think we ought to have an example of it. I think we ought to have a, a know-how. Or this, this is the situation, this is the circumstance, this is the, the time and the place where I know God is my helper. Could you boldly say today, with examples to prove it behind it, that you know today the Lord is your helper. I preach, I, I'm not sure. Why not? Why not? Oftentimes, and the Bible told, we just read in verse number eight, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he helped you out back then, and he's willing to help you out over there, there's no reason for you and I to stand here today and say, he, well, he's not helping me today. Oftentimes we don't realize it because it's a lack of reaching out to him. Right, it's a lack of, Lord, I'm good, I've got this, I've got to impress you with great faith. Can I say nothing you and I have ever done in our ability or strength has taken away the breath of God? He's never said, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that. And oftentimes we like to live like I've got to impress God with something and in doing so we're saying, God, I don't need your help. Sometimes it's not just a lack of reaching out, but it's a lack of recognition. Step, stepping back and taking credit for what God has done and what God is doing in our life. I want to give you three areas this morning in our Christian life where we need to be confident and we need to have this boldness where we can boldly say that the Lord is our helper. I want to give you three areas in our Christian life where we need the Lord's help. In essence, you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it in your ability and your own strength. You need the Lord's help. And can I say, if you're willing to open up these areas to God, you'll be able to look back at a past day and say, boy, the Lord helped me back there. And you'll be able to look at the future and say, I know the Lord's going to help me over there. But you'll be able to stand flat-footed today and say, I know the Lord is my helper. I want to give you three areas this morning. Number one, we need help with our compassion. We need help with our compassion. Look at verse number one. Let brotherly love continue. What, a, what an interesting verse to start off with, chapter number 13. Let brotherly love continue. Anytime I hear the phrase brotherly love, I always think of the word Philadelphia because that's what the word means, a city of what? Brotherly love. That's the, the Greek word. There's, there's the word phileo. I think that's how you pronounce it. But it's where we get our word Philadelphia from or the name of it. 
It means brotherly love. But notice what he says, let brotherly love what? Continue. In essence, if there is a command to let brotherly love continue, then that means there must be a possibility that brotherly love can cease, that it can stop, that it can be hindered, that, 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 it, that it can be choked out or overrun by other emotions. Ah, oh, preacher, I don't, I don't know about that, preacher. I'm not sure about it. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Uh, are there some people you find difficult to love? <laughs> are there some people you know you're supposed to love them? You know that you should love them. You just don't know what that love looks like. Hebrews said, let brotherly love continue. <laughs> You've just admitted to me. I've admitted to you this morning. There's some people I know that I'm supposed to love. I just don't know how I'm supposed to love. It sounds like we need help. <laughs> it sounds like we need help this morning. And here's the thing. When you turn that over to God and you say, God, I don't know how to love them. God, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that sounds like. I don't know what that's supposed to be portrayed like in my life. Lord, I need help. You go down to verse number two, verse number three. He tells us some people and teaches us that there's some people with his help we can love. Verse number three, he'll help you love strangers. He'll help you love strangers. Look at verse number three. Give me verse number two. But be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. A little kid read that verse the wrong way, and I'll you think of how he read it himself. What a question he had over dinner that, that day after church. What was that preacher preaching about? What was that angel wearing? <laughs> Some of y'all can put two to two together, amen. But he'll help you love strangers. Right, and oftentimes, I, here's how this verse has often been applied. It's often been explained to me. You better help people out because they may actually be Right, no doubt it's there. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And no doubt it's there, but if that is our logic for that verse, I've got to help people and I've got to love people because they could be angels. Can I say that's faulty? Can I say that's misleading? Why, why do you mean that? Well, we have biblical examples. No doubt the angels came to Abraham. They came to Lot. And, and, and Jacob wrestled with the angel of God. We could go back to the Old Testament and see that. And no doubt, there's, and if God's done it before, I wouldn't no doubt that he's willing to do it today. But at the same time, if that was the case, if you're afraid that you won't be compassionate because they might be an angel, here's what you need to do. Ask them. Are you an angel? <laughs> Last time I said, they ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> you mean preacher, anytime someone's at the gas station and they ask me for 27 cent, ask them if they're an angel, <laughs> they're gonna think you crazy. I'm like, that poor fellow needs all the money he's got. <laughs> but in essence, well, preacher, why do you mean that's faulty? Because if you go back to Christ who is our example, the Bible says in Luke 19, he didn't come into this world to help angels who were unaware or angels in disguise or angels who were pretending to be a beggar or someone who was helpless. The Bible said he came to seek and to save that 
which is lost. And can I say this morning, there's strangers all around us. There are people who are outside of the grace of God who have no idea what the gospel is about, who have no idea what the Bible really says, who have no idea who God really is. They're strangers to all of that and more than just putting something in their hand or something in their pocket, God has called you and I to love them. What's the greatest form of love? It's to tell somebody the truth that Jesus died for them. Let me ask you, is your love for the lost centered upon their need for the gospel? Oh, God can help you do that. He can give you the mind of Christ. You'll stop seeing them just as a nuisance. You'll stop seeing them just as a problem in society. And it's not, I'm not, I'm not just saying people that sit on the corner begging for money, have the obvious, obvious traces of sin on their face and in their life. They need the gospel. But can I say the person who's checking out your groceries at Walmart needs the gospel? The person in line, the person you work with day in and day out needs the gospel. They're strangers all around us. And they need to see the love of Christ from you. He'll help you love strangers. He'll give you a heart for them. But notice verse number three. He help you love the saints. Help you love the saints. The Bible says, them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Sometimes the Christian life, if we're not careful, can become a pity party. Nobody has it as bad as I do and I'm willing to compare my bad with your bad to prove it. <laughs> Got a whole bunch of Eeyores running around. My life, and I'm not trying to make light of your situation. I'm not trying to make light of your problems and your issues. But can I say, if you and I just sit around and talk about all the problems we have, we ain't going to accomplish nothing. We, nothing that's not going to fix anything. And here's the thing. A lot of times when you and I sit and compare each other's bad, we become critical and not compassionate. I can't help them because I'm in a worse shape than they are. That somebody needs to be helping me. I can't be helping somebody else. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. In essence, let me give you that good helpful language. Put yourself in their shoes. Be thankful that God by his grace has allowed you to on the outside look in at their storm, not as one who's critical of them, but one who's compassionate towards them. Because what if the shoe was on your foot? What if you were bound up like they were bound? Obviously, Hebrews is written to those Jewish believers who have been scattered abroad because of persecution. And here the writer Hebrews says, which I believe to be Paul, and he's telling them here this morning, hey, listen. He's saying, hey, don't, don't look down on them, but rather put yourself where they are. And can I say a lot of times when you put yourself in somebody else's situation, it's hard to be critical. You may not agree with everything they've done. You may not agree with everything and how they did it. But when you put yourself in somebody else's shoes, oftentimes that elicits compassion out of your life. How can I help them? I remember hearing a story about Corey Ten Boone. She was that lady who was put into concentration camps during World War II for being a Christian and for hiding Jews in her house. And she tells a story about how from, she was transferred from one concentration camp to the next and how in one of those camps there was a very, very harsh guard, mean, evil almost to a point, did things that were unspeakable. 
did things that were harsh and just crude. And Corrie Ten Boone, we know the story. She survives the concentration camps as a great witness for Christ in there and during those times. But afterwards, she began to travel and share her testimony about how God had persevered and God had, had protected her and how God had shown himself faithful. She tells a story about how she thanked God for lice. I mean, I mean when's the last time you thank God for a pest? But she tells all these stories and said one day she was standing in a church and she had just got done speaking. She stepped down off the stage and she looked down the aisleway and there was that German guard. At the end of the aisle, she said, I knew his face. I, I could not forget the things that he had done and the things that he had said and how he had treated us and other people. And she said, all of a sudden, as I'm standing there, he begins to walk towards me. And she said, everything in me. She said, I, I, as if it began to boil up in her. She said, I had no idea what to do. So that man walked closer and closer, extended his hand out to her and said, Miss Corrie Ten Boone, I'm so sorry for what I did to you, to all those that were in the concentration camp. But I just got saved by the grace of God and God has changed my life. Corrie Ten Boone said everything inside of her wanted to run away and flee. She said, but I couldn't. She said, I stuck out my hand to that man and said, I forgive you too. Everything is forgiven. Can I say tonight, we can't do that kind of love, or this morning, we can't do that kind of love by ourselves. We don't possess it. But God can help you if you let him. <laughs> Today. There may be some because of what God works in your heart and how God leads you you'll be able to say, I know the Lord's my helper because he helps somebody who before he showed up, I didn't know how to love them. But because of him, now I do. Number one, we need his help with our compassion. Let me ask you this morning, can you boldly say the Lord is helping you with your compassion? Notice number two, we need help with our faithfulness. We need help with our faith. Look at verse number four. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Preacher, you can't read verses like that in 2023. There's language in there that hurts my feelings and it, and it, and it, and it makes me queasy on the inside. Can I say it's still in the Bible? I haven't got out of the word of God this morning, but can I say marriage is still honorable? It's still right. It's still God's plan. It's still God's method. And it's still God always intended to be between a man and a woman. That's still honorable this morning. And if it ever was right, guess what? It still is right. And if it ever was wrong, guess what? It's still wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm about fed up with all these Baptists and all these Christians who are saying, well, things change. The society changed. Can I say the word of God has not changed? If God said it was wrong a thousand years ago, it's still wrong today. If he said it was right at the beginning of creation, it's still right today. Here's the thing. In essence, and he goes on to say right, right there in verse number uh, three, about how whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. That's why when you participate in those activities, you cannot fully enjoy it. Why? Because that action is to take place between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. If it takes place anywhere outside of that, here you may participate but here's your thought. I hope I don't get caught. Can't fully enjoy it. 
But we see here this morning, and I'm not trying to take a hard left turn there, but we realize this morning that marriage is honorable. And if there's a word that describes marriage or a word that should describe marriage, I think it would be the word faithful. I think it would be the word faithful this morning. A good marriage can be defined by the word faithful, being faithful to each other. But let me ask you this morning, in our relationship with Christ, how faithful are you to him this morning? Or could you say it this way, preacher, I need help being faithful to him. I need help to be faithful to him. Good news this morning, he's willing to help you. He's willing to help you this morning. We, we know he'll always be faithful. He said it right there. We read it this morning. He'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Verse number five. But what about us? God does not need help to be faithful. Boy, we sure do though, don't we? I'm glad he's willing to help this morning. To be, we, we, we know he'll always be faithful, but what about us? Are we faithful in our communication? See, communication is key to a marriage. A marriage without communication is not much of a marriage. You can have nice things, you can have a, a, a nice facility, all the wonderful things this world has to offer, but if there's no communication in your marriage, you don't have much of a marriage. Oh, preacher, the paper says that we're married. Can I say this one? I want a relationship with my wife that is more than just a piece of paper saying her and I are married. We see this morning, are we faithful in our communication? It informs your spouse. See, when you communicate, it informs your spouse of the things they may not know. And how many of us men in here, there's a lot that we don't know. <laughs> and ladies will say, there's a lot that we don't know. And that's where communication comes in. Hey, how are you feeling today? What did you think about that? How should we do this? What are your ideas about this? This communication brings you to the same page. Are we faithful in our communication to the Lord? When we pray, it's not us informing God of anything. Like I said this morning, God's never been taken by surprise. He knows everything. He's all-knowing this morning. He's omniscient. But a lot of times our prayer, it doesn't inform God of anything he doesn't know, but it prepares us to see him be faithful. Right? It gets our heart in a place. It gets our mind in a place that we are ready to see him work on our behalf, faithful in our communication. Are we faithful in the time that we talk to him? Faithful in our closeness. Faithful in our closeness. <laughs> Seen a video, I guess it was maybe a year or so ago, a young lady that used to go to church here, sweet, sweet young lady, never had any problems with her in children's church, but she got married, I think a year or so ago, and I seen the video, they had just gone through the ceremony, and they were walking out to the reception, and here's her, she's standing next to her now husband, and they are, they're holding hands, but they are extended away from each other, but they're holding hands, and somebody, and it's one of her family members, if you knew the family, it would make complete sense there, but one of her family members hollers out, hey, y'all are married now, y'all can get closer. <laughs> and can I say this morning, a good marriage will be a close marriage. But notice this morning, it's not the Lord that hinders us being close to him. A lot of times it's us hindering the closeness. It's us getting ourselves in the way. It's our unwillingness to bring our faults and our failures to him. And we don't bring him, them to him, what are we trying to do? We're trying to hide them. 
We're trying to pretend that there's no issue there. And here's the thing, if you're hiding and you're pulling away, you're every, every step that you take, you're getting further and further away from God. Thank God 1 John 1, 9 is still in our Bibles this morning. Thankful that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And what you'll find out is when you begin to do that, he does not run away from you, but rather you get closer and closer and closer. Faithful in our closeness. Faithful in our communication. Faithful in our commitment. Lord, I need help in my commitment. <laughs> You'll have to make the choice. The Christian life is lived by choices. It's not lived by accident. You'll never stumble, fall out your bed, and accidentally read the entire book of Hebrews. You'll have to make the choice, but thankfully we have a book full of reminders and promises. Encourage us, right, to stay committed to the Lord. We talked about it in the Sunday school. We have a great reward if we faint not and we stay committed. Can I say this morning, the Lord will help you with your commitment. You'll be wanting to walk away. You'll be wanting to, to, to give up. You'll be wanting to throw in the towel. You'll be to, to call time out. You'll be wanting to do all those kind of things and God will remind you, listen, if you'll just keep trusting me, there is a greater someday in your life if you'll stay faithful today. Benefits and blessings are attached to commitment. <laughs> How many of you spouses in here have ever asked a question? What do you want from me? Now, how many of y'all did not ask it that way? How do we know that? What do you want from me? Can I say that's not a bad question? But just make sure you're asking it the right way. Because it's saying that, Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, can you help me to understand exactly what you desire out of my life? Lord, can you help me to be faithful? Because I, I know that's what you want from me. I'm asking you boldly say this morning, the Lord is helping you with your faithfulness. Well, we need help in our compassion. We need help with our faithfulness. The notice number three this morning, we need help with our contentment. We need help with our contentment. Look at verse number five. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, forsake thee. Can I say this morning, if you've got Christ, you'll have the greatest thing you'll ever need. You can lose everything else. And as long as you have him, you still have the ability to be content. But see, there's a fine line between contentment and complacency. We should be content, be grateful for what we already have. And this is no need for, and this is if God never blesses me again, I'm okay with that because I have him. That's contentment. But we should not be complacent. Settling for something less because it's easier to do. That's complacency. You know why we don't like the government? Because they're complacent. That's why we get aggravated. That's why we get mad with them because they're complacent. Prove it, preacher. Let me ask you, you ever said the same? That's close enough for what? Government work. That means it's not my best. It could be better. It's not my greatest attempt. I didn't give my whole heart, but it's close enough. That's called complacency. But can I say this morning, close enough, it's close enough for government work. The greatest enemy of contentment isn't complacency, but it's covetousness. It's covetousness, an unhealthy desire for something that is not yours. Covetousness causes you to neglect the gift, the great gift you already have for something lesser that you don't have. Think about the Ten Commandments. First commandment, love the Lord thy God, all the heart, soul, and mind. 
<laughs> then you go down the list and you get down to those thou shalt not. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. It's settling for something less than what you already have. Covetousness causes you to, to thirst and to lust after something that you don't need. Let me ask you, why do we struggle with it so much? Why do we struggle with covetousness so much? Why do we struggle with those kind of things? And, and here's the thing, when you begin to live a life of coveting after things and people and places and positions, you live a life of complaining. We went to Macon Aiken Friday and drove out there and uh, it was interesting. This, uh, there's definitely a, a specific clientele to that thing. And I'm not in that clientele. We got there and <laughs> I remember being a kid and like being excited about getting things and getting like a, a certain specific thing. When I was growing up, I always wanted, I always wanted the Power Rangers helmet. The White Ranger, I always wanted it. I always wanted a certain pair of shoes. You know, I get it. And, or, you know, I, I remember getting the, the gloves for Tommy, the White Ranger, being so excited. I was, I was running around showing them to everybody. Can I say, I've seen that same spirit, that same attitude in the age group of 60 and above happen to be white people <laughs> with their yard decorations. They were running around downtown Aiken with their windmills and their wind chimes, and they were so excited about them. And one lady said, where did you get that at? The other person said, oh, it's all the way at the end. You better get down there. They're about to sell out. I'm talking about these people can't move them fast anywhere else in life. But they're running to get those wind chimes. But we, we walked through there and looked at things. Oh, that's neat. That's cool. That's awesome. Shiloh was enamored with all the dogs that were there. She was in her little, her little seat. Dog! One guy, one guy got upset because she kept waving at his dog. He, was like, he can't wait. He didn't get like super upset or he didn't want to fight me, but he was like, my dog can't wave back. Sir, we know that. <laughs> we got done and we got there. The, the, the online says you could park at the Baptist church naked. Well, I pulled up to the Baptist church. They had it all blocked off. I said, a bunch of Baptists. <laughs> Where'd you park at, preacher? I parked at the Methodist church. I pulled in. There was a parking spot right next to a, a bush. It was kind of covered. It was in the shade. I said, this is it. This is where I'm parking at. We got out. We walked. We enjoyed that time. We enjoyed watching all the older people run out of their wind chimes. We came back into our seat and sat down. I got in the van and sat down and realized that the Methodist church has a Mother's Day Out program, a, 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 a preschool of sorts, and they're right in the middle of dismissal. And there's no buses, there's cars lined up. And so we sat there for a while, waited for an opening spot, got in the, the, the dismissal line of the Methodist church. <laughs> we drove our minivan, and I could tell that we did not belong. <laughs> Why, preacher? Because you're looking at the different makes and the models of all the different cars. And I was like, yeah, that ain't, this, this ain't us. <laughs> that lady from the school came out and she was, they must have a sticker on the front window that tells them what kid they need to go pick up. And she came to our van and she was staring hard. She was looking for that sticker. I rolled down, I said, ma'am, I, I parked in the wrong spot. I'm just, I'm, I'm just working my way through the line. She said, okay. She probably said, that's the third one today. 
we're going through the line. We, we get there, and there's the playground for the Mother's Day Out program. There's kids playing on it. And I made a comment to Becky. I said, I'll tell you what. This is something our kids are never going to experience. She said, why? I said, because we don't make enough money for this. And oftentimes, you know, I'll say those things and joking and play. And it's like the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart. I said, was that necessary? Did you need to say that? Have I not gifted you with a great opportunity to raise your children and to teach them the truth of God's word? And, and, and you don't have to pawn them off on somebody and throw them out somewhere. Lord, I'm sorry. See, so many times we become covetous and we don't even realize it. We try to cover it up with a joke and a sly remark. And if we're not careful, it'll begin to control our heart and nothing will be good enough. Nothing will satisfy us. We'll be so far from content that it won't even be funny. And can I say the Christian life is not to be lived with a covetous heart, but with a content heart. And so as long as I have him, I have everything I think I need. I don't need anything else as long as I have him. And if he is the source of my contentment, I'll never be satisfied or never be dissatisfied or unsatisfied. But if he is the source of my contentment, I'll know what true satisfaction is this morning. And so will you. But we need help with our contentment, don't we? Uh, you ever found yourself, I'm not a complaining person, but you ever found yourself just full of complaints? Can I say it's probably because there's an issue in your heart that you need help with. And you can put it off and pretend it ain't an issue and push it off and push it off and push it off. But if you deal with it today, you'll be able to stand up and say, today I know the Lord's my helper because he helped me with my heart this morning. Can you boldly say the Lord is helping you with your contentment? Can you boldly say this morning the Lord is helping you with your compassion, with your faithfulness, with your contentment this morning? Or are you going to just settle for, preacher, I know he's my helper. Or are you going to say, you know what, I want some specifics. I want some key places where I know the Lord is helping me. So I can boldly stand up and testify, the Lord is my helper.